everyone, Terry Welbrock here, host of the Healing Place podcast. Just wanted to take a second before today's episode to let you all know, for those of you who are have been fans of the show since the beginning, uh, one of the very first guests that I had on uh, when I didn't know what I was doing yet <laughs> as a podcast host and trying to figure it out. Um, So there's lots of background noise, but uh, I interviewed Beth Williams, and um, who is a dear, treasured friend, and she came on and talked about being a light worker and uh, mental health and grief, of all things, because uh, my dear, wonderful, beautiful soul sister lost her battle with breast cancer, Um, and it had just kind of hit everywhere in her body and um, yeah I'm feeling that loss tremendously it was only just a few days ago and my heart is sad Um, and I will miss her laughter and her light so very much Um, so if you have the opportunity go back to February 2018 and find my conversation with Beth Williams and I listened to it again and cried and laughed and it was just an amazing conversation. Her wisdom, it was just empowering. And, uh, you know, Beth and I, we met, I was teaching preschool at the time. My, my degree's in psychology uh, and I was doing the stay-at-home mom thing with our third child, our youngest. and. The school approached me and said, do you have a degree? And I said, yes, in psychology. And they said, awesome, we need a preschool teacher. And I said, oh my gosh, that would be so much fun to be around kids. I adored them. So I did it. And uh, my daughter was in in the classroom for two-year-olds and three-year-olds. And then I had moved to the fours. And we said, oh, she needs somebody other than me, mom, as a teacher. But Beth's daughter was in my class, and so Beth arrived at the preschool sobbing one day. And I just threw my arms around her in this hug, and it was just this instant connection because she had seen an animal that had been hit in the road, and she's just such a compassionate soul that uh, it impacted her that profoundly. And uh, our daughters became friends, and we became friends, and it just blossomed into this beautiful, beautiful soul sister. Um, I, I can't even put words on this friendship because uh, of what a gift it was in my life. So before I start crying, because I can feel it welling, um, I will I will end here and just say, I love you, Beth. Uh, I didn't think I was going to cry. You were such a light in this world and will continue to be so. And I'm going to miss you a lot. All right, now for today's episode. It's a wonderful conversation. All right, enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock, and thrilled to have with me today Danielle Burnock. And I'm going to read uh, an intro. We met through Podmatch, and then we have a mutual friend who we just both adore, Dr. Uh, Janine McConaughey. So Danielle Burnock is a childhood trauma survivor, international award-winning author, 
speaker, podcast host, and trauma-informed self-love coach who helps men and women emerge with clear vision of their value, take ownership of their choices, and chart a path to their promise becoming victorious souls. Woo! I love that. So welcome, Danielle. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited about being able to be here today. Yes, me too. Well, we had such a great chat for the past, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes beforehand that I was like, oh, should I hit record on all that? Because it was just, oh, again, you have those, I don't know, soul sister moments, those soul connecting moments when you meet someone who, uh, yeah, who is just walking a parallel path, a similar path. And so I just thank you for the beautiful, beautiful work you do in the world. So talk to us about, um, Gosh, yeah. Do you want to start with your personal journey of triumph and what's led you into this work? Well, I'll start with that was my first book, Emerging with Wings. I had done some healing before that, which is why I sat down to write that book. But I put myself into counseling to write the book. And I discovered while writing the book that the second half of the book, chapters 8 through 16, all came to be and came to light while I was writing the book. So it's like chapters 1 through 8, I knew that. That was my childhood growing up. A lot of things that I was still dismissing when I was in counseling writing the book because I didn't understand that they were a thing. They were just my life. But I had childhood emotional neglect, which I didn't know was a term until just like three, four years ago. And even my counselor had never heard that term before, which I always like to pause for you who are listening to know. You don't have to know a term. You don't have to have a diagnosis. You don't have to have a specific word to be able to heal from whatever is causing you pain. I healed from it without knowing it existed. Now I know it exists and I can explain it. (laughs) So don't feel that you can't heal because you can't explain. Just fight for healing and you'll get there. That's how I got as far as I did to write my book, because I just fought for healing. I put in my book, I got to where I am by refusing to stay where I was. I just I just fought for change and fought for change. I, I was miserable and I want to not be miserable anymore. I have this emotional basket case behavior that I have no idea why or what it's supposed to be. I just know it's awful. It's like, I just want to be different. (laughs) So I fought to be different and read books and listened to tapes. Yes, tapes before, you know, they had MP3s and all that stuff. And I got so far. I got so far. People said, you should write a book. I thought about writing a book. And finally, September 29, 2012, I sat down to write the book. Had no idea what writing a book was. Had no idea what I was doing. Didn't know where to go from that, but I'm going to just sit down, pen to paper. Okay, here we go. God, you better help me or I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And he did. And I put myself in counseling, like I said, but I went through three or four counselors before I got the one who really helped me. Another time to pause. If you've tried to go into counseling and you got a bad counselor, don't give up on yourself. Give up on that counselor and get a new one. I had gone into counseling years before that with a Christian counselor and they re-traumatized me more. So when I looked for a counselor later, I looked for one who was not specifically a Christian counselor. I didn't want an atheist counselor, but I wanted I wanted someone who knew the brain, who knew psychology, who knew all the science. 
she helped me profoundly, even though she didn't know that word childhood emotional neglect, she knew what healthy emotions were. She knew what a healthy upbringing was supposed to look like. So when I told her, I didn't feel like I belonged to my family. I felt that nobody loved me and I felt unlovable and it was just how I grew up. So I thought maybe it was this or that. And I was going to some other point. So I went, wait, stop, stop, stop. Why'd you feel that way? I'm like, I have no idea. So, and I tried to go on to my point again. No, 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 no. <laughs> she said something went terribly wrong and then proceeded to tell me what a loving, nurturing childhood would be like. And I went, what? People live that way? Can can, can you like elaborate on that? I, that that's like a thing? <laughs> and yeah. it was profound to me. I, I love how she put it because it wasn't fancy. Something went terribly wrong. So maybe you who are listening, something went terribly wrong in your life. Maybe you have no idea what went terribly wrong. But it left a gashing hole in your heart that maybe you feel like diminishing. Like Terry and I were talking before we started recording. And I told her how I compared all those hurts in my life like paper clips. Paper clips. <laughs> paper, <laughs> paper cuts. <laughs> I love it. I love we do these live and then see, you see, I'm a normal person who makes mistakes. I called a paper cut a paper clip. <laughs> I love it. And then to stop there again, because there was a time I could not laugh at myself. I could not laugh at myself. I would have been horrified that I did that. You would have asked me 10 years ago about this or so, not quite sure how long. I would have been absolutely horrified. I probably would have hung up the thing and ran away and hidden in the bathroom, sat on the floor and cried. Me and you both. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. here I laughed at it. So if you who are listening, are you're there, there's hope. There's hope. If you want to run away and hide and cry when you make a mistake and you, the thought of laughing at yourself is just, you can't fathom that. There's hope. There's hope. Because when I was writing my book, then I studied paper cuts because I felt like I had just been just assaulted with paper cuts all over my entire body. So what is a paper cut? I mean, everyone's had a paper cut, right? Right. They hurt. Like someone sliced off your freaking arm. And you're like, how can something so small hurt so much? So I mentioned to Terry how I'd written about that. And I did not remember it because I am a simplifier. And I have in here the scientific explanation. And then I have the simple explanation. The scientific explanation is because it affects the pro proprioception system of the body. That's the body's perception of itself that oversees its place in space. It affects that, that system of the body. And it's like a bullseye of pain. If you have ever gone archery, doing archery or throwing axes or something, you have this big target and the thing in the center is the bullseye. And the bullseye is the highest point of achievement. And a paper cut hits the bullseye of pain in the skin. And that's in the chapter of my book, Emerging with Wings, because God unveiled to me the bullseye trauma in my life. I had a whole pile of them, but I had a bullseye one. And that was one that happened to me in church. It was when I was 
10 or 11 or something was publicly rejected in front of the entire church from membership on display in front of the entire church. And little by little in the layers that, that went so deep, the Lord took me through process after process to get to the bottom of that, to what had happened in my soul. I believed as a child that the creator of the universe refused to love me and threw me out like refuge. And so I expected rejection everywhere in my life. And if I didn't get it, I created it because behavior follows belief. (laughs) That's the way it does. And that was just one little thing. I mean, I have a whole big pile of that, but it's not like I need to, you know, list up all my traumas. I mean, one would be enough. (laughs) Yes. That's, that's where I got with the the paper cuts. If you feel like you've been assaulted by paper cuts, there is healing. There is healing for those. And that, that creates so another, <laughs> yeah, well, that's another pause moment of one of the things that you and I talked about is that it's one is enough. One is enough. It's And it's not, we've said before here on the show, not a trauma race, not a trauma comparison. It, like you had said to me, it's so easy to do when you hear someone else's trauma story, right? But mm-hmm. it's, it can be what we said was those little T's, right? When you have a giant pile of them or even just one, if it's causing you pain, if if you are feeling that paper cut pain, mm-hmm. then you're worthy of, of healing. And one other thing I want to highlight is I love what you talked about a few minutes ago of you just kept fighting for healing is that you became your own advocate. And that is so huge upon this healing journey. And I've done the same thing. I've read every book I can get a hold of and starting with, you know, the body keeps the score and that aha moment of, oh my gosh, like so much of it resonated with me. And so yeah, be listen to podcasts and ask the questions and switch therapists. Another yay. Yes, I will applaud that comment because yes, I've done it and you find the fit for you. Um, no matter even with doctors, you know, physical. I've been on a physical journey of healing the last two years. And I move doctors because when you go to someone for these horrible things that are happening in your in your physical health, and they say, well, I think the first thing we're going to do is give you an anti-anxiety med. I don't need an anti-anxiety med because I have tears in my eyes because I'm so overwhelmed by this. I need a new doctor that's going to listen to me. So yes, yes do it. All right. There you go. Got off my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, I have medical trauma in there too. You go to the doctor and they tell you it's all in your head. You're making it up. There's nothing wrong with you. Or they call you a blatant liar and accuse you of behavior that you have not done. Right. <sighs> Oh, the gaslighting. Yes. And the medical Western medical world is just uh, it's it is it's traumatizing in and of itself uh, when someone, especially someone with trauma history, who then goes into a doctor and are are told, you know, oh, it's all in your head. Let me give you this anti-anxiety med to make it all go away. No, actually, I had mycotoxin poisoning from mold exposure and I really am. I really am sick. You know, when you finally find that person who who diagnoses it or or who helps you understand and then you heal, you just want to go back and say, "Okay, let's do a little educating for you for the next person that comes in. (laughs) Yeah, that's why they call it a practice. I like yes. to say that. it's called a medical practice. Right. Be willing to learn and understand. Yes. I love Doctor it. Doctor does not mean God. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you went then on, you, you wrote your book and then you, now you have several books and you have a podcast. So this kind of became then your, did you take a turn then into, because of writing this book into then going down this, this road of, of helping others along their healing journey? Oh, most definitely. I wrote that first book. And like I said, I only knew the first half. So after learning the second half and actually putting it in the book, I put things in there that nobody knew about me. And my greatest fear when I released that book was that someone would actually read it. I was terrified because it was all new to me. It was raw and new to me. I, I it, it was like, if they read that, I the fear, the fear of exposure, but I exposed myself by hitting publish. But the response, the response that I got to that the resonating that people did with my story with that. I have a quote in there that starts with trauma is personal that people resonated with. And I was so astounded by that. And I'm like, well, I, I need to reach more people. And so I'm like, I don't know what to do. And, and God just led me through things that I would just like find things like little breadcrumbs or something. And I read some article somewhere that says every book needs a blog. I'm like, what's a blog? <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I published my first book, I didn't know front matter, back matter, copyright, font size, gutter, bleed, all those things. I had no idea what any of that was. And I chose to self-publish on purpose because when I looked into traditional publishing back then, they would buy my story, then they would own my story, and then I couldn't change it ever because they would own my story. I'm like, no. Nobody's owning my story. It is my story. And I came to understand that there's one thing. I mean, if anyone disagrees with me about anything, my opinion, my what I believe in doctrine or about God or about anything like that, one thing I don't care if they agree with me as I know what my story is. Yeah. I know what I went through. I My story is something that it's mine. They can't take it. So I'm not... I'm not selling that to anybody's. I put it in a book and I'll sell that. <laughs> yes. But with that response, I'm like, I need, I need to help people. And, and it was little by little over and over at a blog and, and started having an email and doing a newsletter. And then I wrote a, another little book I give away at my website called Love's Manifesto. And the, um, it's short. It's in audio and in uh, digital that I give away. And it's like, what is love? Why we don't believe it? And what it takes to convince us. And I give that away free at my website because it 34 years to be able to believe in unconditional love and believe that God loved me even when I was bad. Yes. But the next book after that was A Bird Named Pain, which is a very short allegory. And it's P-A-Y-N because it's the name of the bird. And it's dealing with the complex emotions when you have a loved one with Alzheimer's. I had to go through that with my mother-in-law. I had no idea how to deal with how I was feeling. And God gifted me that short story. And I love how it helps people, except for one lady who wrote a bad review saying it was short. I'm oh. like, well, I said it was short. So <laughs> right. short you not like that. So, <laughs> and I'm not in charge of how well, however much Amazon charges for an audiobook. I don't put the pricing on audiobooks. Amazon puts the pricing on all the audiobooks. Right. 
So right. note to anyone who you don't like how much auto audio book costs, don't blame the author, any of them, anywhere. It's Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Well, good point. I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah. And then my most recent book is Because You Matter. And that was taking what I had learned in Emerging with Wings and putting it into a way for people to apply it to their own life. But even going further than that, because everyone hasn't experienced what I've experienced. So it deals with adult trauma and childhood trauma, just basics. Of, and the subtitles: how to take ownership of your life so you can really live. So it's reclaiming your sense of value, reclaiming courage, reclaiming purpose, reclaiming, you know, the different areas of your life. And you can pick, you know, if you're just struggling with one area, then just read the one chapter. But between the chapters are stories of 10 people and 10 stories of different kinds of trauma childhood trauma, adult trauma, men, women, and of varying ages and stuff. And so it's got the the stories in between is broken to little small things, just help people to grab what, what they need. Yes. You know, and that one's a little less faith focused because not everybody believes how I believe either. So I wanted to make sure that's like, well, you don't have to believe how I believe. I still want you to heal. <laughs> yes. Well, that's just two things popped in my head. Well, one, I've been writing my book for the past 10 years. And I, you know, every I keep telling everybody it's I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But it is, it's so the 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 guts are done, like the 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 hard stuff, I guess, part of it. But then there's that those last couple of chapters I've just been, oh, 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 like I just keep waiting for the oh the angels, you know. <laughs> So, yeah, it's 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 waiting. And truly, I think it's because my mom's still alive, which mm -hmm. she keeps giving me her blessing on it. Um, and when I was there, I just traveled to spend time with her. She's been moved to hospice care. And um, yeah, she said to me, she looked at me in my eyes and said, it's time for you to finish that book. And I get goosebumps like my hair stood on end. My and I was like. Okay, well, there's that. There was the sign I was looking for. So right. it was very powerful. So again, I know what a what a journey it is to put a book out. So I commend yeah. you and applaud you for having that courage. That you know, we both talk about Janine's brave book, and you know, having that bravery to put it out into the universe. Yeah, yeah. I spoke at a um, writers' conference last fall. And I spoke on how writing a book will change your life. We've heard so much about how writing a book will change everyone else's life, which is true. I don't disagree with that. But everyone's heard that. But writing a book will change the writer's life. And I elaborate on all the different ways that it will change your life. You will be a different person at the other side of that book. And yeah. I encourage people to do that, even if you want to write a book and you don't even choose to publish it or you publish it for just your own self. I encourage people to do that because the process is cathartic. The process is therapeutic in ways that you can't even fathom. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I agree. And again, just what I've been through so far with it. Yes. And it's just that release. Uh, yeah, I think the song. Oh, there's a song and I'm not going to quote it right. So I'm not even going to bring it up. There was a song that talked about at some point, you know, getting those words out of you. I mean, just how healing it is to, yes, you're right. So cathartic. Well, um, you have to look at yourself too. So you have to pay attention. 
you have to do like in that quote, you have to enter your pain. You have to enter inside yourself. You have to become aware. How my counselor put it was she talked about stepping away from yourself to like observe yourself. It's like I had to have her like explain that to me to really get with that manifest. Like, that is a different way of self-awareness. Yes. Oh, I did a meditation on that this morning. How crazy is that? That was stepping outside myself and I was watching myself do the meditations. But as I did it, I'm not kidding. Like I saw angels around me. I saw like a glow around me. I saw like, it was like almost like white flames coming out of the top of my head, but I just (laughs) allowed the vision to come and it was very powerful, but it was like being outside myself, watching myself do this and really a cool experience. Awesome. I love it. Um, Oh my gosh, what direction to go in? Well, one of the things, um, oh, I love what I saw on your website. And I don't think I've brought it up in this conversation. I did in my head, but one of the things on your, on your website is the lady on the internet who loves you. I love that. Like, I know when I read that, it was just, I felt like I was being hugged when I was on your, on your internet or on your website, because um, how many people don't feel loved, right? And to come across someone who says, yeah, and it's okay. Like, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a turn. Do you feel like sometimes this world of ours, we're afraid to say, I love you to strangers. I love you to people in that. So when I come across that, I'm just like, it's like a big, wow. Like what a gift to put out there to people. Yeah, it's, I do sometimes have a, a moment pause because I sign all of my emails, love Danielle. And I am reaching into my community. I'm doing trauma-informed self-workshops at the continuing education, the senior centers and stuff around here. And when I first reached out to some you know, new people and they asked for information to email them, and here's this man who I don't know, and I signed it, love Danielle. You know, I'm married. I've been married for almost 43 years. I love my husband dearly. You know, it's not that kind of love. So it's that fear of misunderstanding that you're going to think that I want something from you. You're going to think that I'm coming on to you or something like that. It's something I really struggled with at the beginning of my journey too because I had on my website connecting people to the love that heals and then that seemed a little not on point and I went through a journey of love yourself from survive to thrive and now I've kind of put the two together but whenever I've tried to you know be a love coach that always gets taken as you know like I'm going to help you you know love your find love in life or get married or something like that and that's not the kind of love that I'm trying to communicate I'm trying to communicate you know, that you have, you deserve to be loved just because you're breathing, just because you exist. We were created by God who is love. We're made out of love. It's our greatest need and we need that. So I'm going to deliver love to everybody. You deserve to know your love because you are. Yes. Oh, I love it. Yes. And that is, it's that, that's that pure love, that that unconditional love. I, I did another, I had a session recently, um, and one of the message I, I had received in that session, I don't know if you want to call it angel, spirit guides, God, Jesus, whatever, something gave me the message of, to me, Terry, you are both of the earth and of the light. And your role is to be a prism of that light and love 
into the lives of others on earth. And so I, to me, I thought, oh my gosh, like that is our role. And so again, your words resonated with me uh, on your website and just speaking to you is that that's our, that's our job here, right? To give, to put that love out there to others, to put it out there into the world um, for those needing it, but for everyone, really. So I love that a prism of light. I love that. It was of the earth and of the light. I, I agree. I mean, God made humans out of the dirt, you know, and God is light and we're made in his image. So of course we are. Yeah. We're also made out of love. Yeah. So I want to reflect that the prism. I like, I love prisms when you put light into a prism, how it reflects all the colors and when they come together in unity, it becomes white light. You know, but when we can see our diversity, we can see the beautiful colors. Yes. Well, it, again, I, I came out of that and I was like, oh, okay. Now I get it. Like, it's okay, like, to embrace our humanness, mm-hmm. but to also recognize that light that's in, within us and that that love that we receive. And yeah, just then just, right, put it out there. So, yeah. and I it certainly- changes people. Yeah. When someone knows that they are loved after I started to believe I was loved, the first person I encountered where I tasted of unconditional love is my husband. He's chapter three in Emerging with Wings. (laughs) It was astounding to me. In my keynote that I delivered at a conference last fall, I talked about dare to believe and how um, behavior follows belief. And I told them about how when I met my husband, I shared with them all my dirty secrets. And generally people will do that because I trust you so much. I love you so much. I want to get close to you. That wasn't what I did. I told him all that because I expected him to leave. I was counter-dependent. And I'm like, you leave now. I'm going to tell you this all now. Run screaming from the building. (laughs) But he didn't. And I was just astounded that he didn't I I just didn't even know how to deal with that because it was so profound to me and I know that's not everyone's experience but to me it was an object lesson it was a gift supernaturally God put us together that's in the book too so that's how I knew that this was a gift from God to show me this does exist and he gave me an opportunity you know since then to share with other people to help them taste that unconditional love it really is a thing it's real. No, it's not. Yes, it is. And once you can get someone to dare to consider, to believe that it in and of itself, not connected to anything else, just to the idea that unconditional love is really a thing, then they can start moving toward it. And then they can start bringing it in. And then God can unveil it in there in all the ways he wants to, because he wants a relationship with us. And every relationship is different and personal. So I don't want to have my relationship with God for you. That's yours. Yes. <laughs> I love it. And it is, oh my gosh, unconditional love does exist. It doesn't mean that we can't have disagreements. It doesn't mean that we can't see things from different perspectives. It doesn't mean that you can have moments of stepping away from someone, but it's there. And it's I've just had the experience with it myself in my personal life with a loved one. And when you love someone that much and it's, you truly don't put conditions on it. And it's just about honoring where they are along their journey. 
It's, it's amazing. Getting the value. I was on a oh. podcast a little while back and he asked me the question. I was like, wow, I'm so glad we had a little discussion about it on the podcast. And since then, I kept thinking about it and thinking about it because how he said, do you think that unconditional love means unconditional acceptance? And we then we discussed that. I'm like, I don't know, because I thought about, you know, all, you know, criminals, you know, we can't just accept that, you know, you mentioned something about a robbery. Well, I, I don't know your story with that, but if you were subjected to a robbery, does that mean we say the robbery was just fine? We accept that the robbery was just fine and that's love? No. What I came up with through chewing on this, what my my thing could change by next week, we'll see. But <laughs> I, I hold everything with loose hands. I want God to just keep teaching me that to unconditionally love someone or something is to see and honor its value. And to want what is best for them, to have their best interest at heart. So like, let's say in a criminal, the best interest for them is for them to stop being a criminal. So for them to, you know, be rehabilitated, go to jail or whatever the thing, whatever the pathway is to that. We don't condone the bad behavior or the behavior that caused harm or something like that. But we still see that they're a human being and that human being is worthy of love, even the evil things. I mean, Jesus died for everybody. You know, and that's where a lot of people trip up. No, well, they need to go to hell. No, he created hell for the devil, not for people. So (laughs) he he wants us all to know we're loved, you know, but that's to have their best interest at heart, you know, which is to become the best version you can be, to be that light, that love, that energy, the, the showing forth love to other people, that prism of beautiful love to everybody else. Amen. Yes. I know I went through a personal healing journey when I found out the uh, the um, criminal who had held the gun to my head and then three months later came back and shot and murdered my coworker um, during those two bank robberies. I When I found out he had died in prison, I, I literally fell to my knees in my office and just was said, I mean, I felt a huge weight lift from my shoulders, but I also felt him and said, you know, I hope he found forgiveness. I hope he found whatever peace, you know, as he moved on, whatever he needed. And see, that's love. This... That's you loving him, but still he was accountable for his sure his stuff. And so yeah. that's a perfect elaboration. I had a similar thing in my life. And there we go with the measuring. It's a little T, big T. I would give you a big T and me a little T. But you know, I that bullseye trauma at the church. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, and yeah. Later, you know, I went back to that church right before I got married as an act of forgiveness. I forgive you for destroying my soul, <laughs> whatever it was, kind of thing, because I'd come back to faith because I went away from it for a while. And uh, I did that as an act of forgiveness, thought that was done, but it was way deeper. So God dealt with that. But later I found out that that particular pastor had hung himself. Oh, And I just broke down in tears and wept. And part of me was looking at myself going, you really did forgive him. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, he was still held accountable. God told me he, you know, had to answer to him, not to me. You know, it's like, he can handle that. I'm not God. (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, that was one of the things that helped me with my particular instance was 
I went back to, and this comes back to the light thing again. I went back to, you know, me and this, in this perpetrator, uh, we're both born these innocent little creatures, right? It, it, so somewhere in his journey, and I'm not excusing his behaviors and the choices right. that he ended up making, but somewhere along his journey, he chose to go down a dark path, but I don't know his story. I didn't know. And again, not making excuses for him, but right. how was, how was trauma an impact in his life? What, what adverse childhood experiences, what aces did he have in his childhood? Um, that resulted in him making this choice to go down this this dark path. And so when I was able to like say about his human choices, I don't condone those, but mm-hmm. his light, his soul, his his essence that then carried on and moved his energy that left his body, um, that was the part that I was able to say, I hope you find your peace. I hope you find that forgiveness that that you need, that you deserve. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you look back, you have regrets. Like I have choices I've looked back at and I like look at myself then and I go, man, that was really awful. Why did you do that? And it was because the wounds. It was yeah. it was a, acting out of the wounds. It doesn't make it right. But then you can go, oh, I, I see why. And I'm right. so glad you're not like that anymore. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. But it makes for great conversation. Like my kids and I have had the older children, my older two boys, we've had such great conversations about it and very healing because for them to be able to understand that mom was coming from a place of complete chaos and lost in my own pain and, and destruction because I didn't. I was just so hurt and didn't, I, I hadn't yet stepped onto that healing path. Um, yeah, but you're, you, it sounds to me like you, I don't know if you needed to build a bridge, but you were building a bridge with your kids talking about that. And then they can understand you as a human. I read something somewhere not too long ago, like that nice vague way of putting it. <laughs> this uh, man, I think it was said about, you know, his dad wasn't just his dad. There was a, you know, he used to think, you know, he was just his dad. But then he came to the realization, no, he was a man who became my dad. Oh, yeah. Seeing him as a human being who then came into that role. And for a child can't comprehend this. This is this is beyond a child's comprehension as a child. That's why we get the childhood trauma from that. So and right. neglect because we can't fathom that. But later, if we'll have those conversations, if the parents will be brave enough to speak with their children and humble enough, humble enough to say, no, yeah, I did that wrong. You're right. I I shouldn't have done that. I I had no idea what another choice was. (laughs) And to have those conversations, I have them with my kids. And and my daughter has journals. She said, if I come across something in my journal, is it okay if I come and talk to you? I was like, oh, yes, definitely. And I'm probably, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, I welcome those conversations. Safety. And they can understand their own life better. They can understand my life. They can um, grow from it in different ways. They can parent their children differently. They can help other people. It's just the conversations we have to be able to talk about. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I say amen and hallelujah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it. My mom was traumatized. I didn't know that. She was 
I mean, I knew the information, but again, as a child, I didn't get it till later. I mean, my mom became fatherless at the age of seven. Oh, yeah. Her re- her remembrance, though, is interesting because she told me that I believe she told me she was four. But I found pictures later and there were dates on it and she was seven. So see, emotionally, she felt that loss much sooner than even that. Not that that matters. It just it hit her deeply. It's just evidence of the trauma of that and other traumas in her life on top of that. And my dad, he was traumatized. They were both emotionally neglected. They didn't have to give me what I needed. And they were operating from their own chaos, like you used that word chaos. And they can't give what they don't have. Yes. And it's, oh, it's so true. I'm writing two books, actually. My dad's, I'm writing my dad's memoir, but as a fiction book, so I can fill in the blanks because my dad died in 2009. But knowing parts of the parts of his story that I do know, yeah, it helped me. Like you said, when you know your parents' trauma, it can help, you can recognize like the, the patterns that were continued um, and, and then break those cycles. And that's why I'm so proud of my kids because they're they are they're breaking those cycles and healing in their 20s where it took me till you know 40s and 50s <laughs> I didn't start writing my book till I was 55 yeah so yeah. it's never too late right hashtag right. never too late well like Janine she went into counseling when at 61 so yeah it's good to bring these things out it's never too late if you're breathing take a step Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I could sit in here and talk to you for hours on end. Um, it's just, it's wonderful. It's about that commonness. When you can talk about something that is taboo in some places, you can feel seen and heard and encouraged to grow, maybe even get light on a different aspect you haven't gotten before. It's, it's just so empowering and you just feel hugged on the inside. Yes. I agree. I agree. So one last thing, is there anything that you wanted to touch upon that we haven't had an opportunity to talk about yet? Well, I don't just encourage you who are listening to do something, do something. If you need counseling, get counseling. If you can't look back or you're good, you've dealt with some things and you want to go forward. I'm a coach. Reach out to me. If my books will help you, my Website is daniellebernock.com, B-E-R-N-O-C-K. I have courses and workshops and all kinds of stuff that I would love to help you with. I have Janine's book is on my website, on my more resources page, her Trauma in the Pews book. And I just, if I can help you, will you let me please? Wonderful. Well, that was my last question then was how do people get in touch with you? So (laughs) yay, you beat me to it. All right. Well, it's just been such a joy and an honor to have you here. I'm so happy to meet you. And um, thank you for the healing work you do and that beautiful prism of light that you shine into the world. Well, thank you. It was a joy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. All right. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us today on the Healing Place podcast. And remember until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Terry Welbrock again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to the episode today and remind you to visit my website as well as the academy.terrywellbrock.com for the courses. But if you go to my website, terrywellbrock.com, you can sign up for my monthly Hope for Healing newsletter, which is also jam-packed with information and strategies and blog pieces and guest blog pieces and links to shows. Um, 
and just a great space for uh, thanks for again being here and being a part of this healing space. I very much appreciate you. All right. Bye-bye.